Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and today you're listening to Percolating on Faith. It's a series where we talk about stuff that's super smart, and I have a feeling that you always leave these podcasts feeling a lot smarter. I always do, at least. Uh, we're here with Charmaine and Tony Shavala Smith. Hello, Charmaine. Hello, Tony. Hello. Good to be with you, Carla. Hi, Carla. And they are our experts, as always. I get to ask the questions, and they get to say the answers, and I get to walk away feeling really good about myself. I don't know how you two feel, but I always feel good about myself. As long as we always have the option of saying, I don't know. (laughs) And then we're happy. There is always that option. I love that option. And I think I would say that being quote unquote experts on things that are mysteries is sort of an oxymoron, but hey, we'll go with it for today. (laughs) What did you just call me? I'm just kidding. Uh, so today we're going to continue talking about theodicy, specific, specifically the Jesus narrative theodicy, which we'll talk about. But before we jump into the Jesus narrative theodicy, maybe we should give our listeners just a little recap as to what is a theodicy. Yeah, a theodicy is something that probably touches all of us when we are thinking about life and God, when we're thinking about the struggles that we have, um, and then when we're trying to to get a bigger picture, a clearer picture of where is God in the midst of the really difficult times. And so a theodicy, a a good definition is what is the relationship between God and the suffering and evil that are found in the world? And so a theodicy is kind of trying to approach it. um, We've got four or five questions that that kind of um, help to shape a theodicy. And the, the first one is, why are suffering and evil so present in human experience and in the, in the world in general? And then a second one is, why did God create a world in which suffering and evil are, are even possible? You know, what, so it's kind of helping us question, how do we see God? What do we see as God's purpose? A third question that helps us to get at a theodicy um, or to create a theodicy is, What does this, um, the idea that there is evil and suffering, say about the nature of God? And then um, there's kind of two questions here. They're they're related. Why doesn't God protect us from suffering and from evil? Or, and this is another way of asking that question that gives more options, where is God when we are suffering? And so almost any theodicy is going to touch on these questions in one way or another. So uh, the word theodicy does not appear in the Bible. It was a word created by the German philosopher Leibniz, which we've said before, and it was created in the 18th century as the world was, the Western world was experiencing the sense of progress and optimism. Um, All kinds of bad things were also happening. And so there was an attempt to try and say, how do we make sense of belief in uh, a benevolent God, uh, and then also look at something like the horrible earthquake that destroyed Lisbon uh, in the 18th century. How do we make room for that? And so a theodicy, it's really important to understand that a theodicy is a construct. 
In other words, it's a way that theologians put together scripture and experience and reason and tradition to answer questions about God's goodness in, in light of the evil and suffering humans experience. So it's always important that recognize it's a construct and any attempt to turn a theodicy into a <laughs> final answer is, is doomed to fail. So, and, and probably not fair to the Christian tradition as a yeah. whole. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because if you think about people who've gone through horrible stuff, the last thing that they deserve to hear is, Hey, I've got a packaged answer for you about why this happened to you. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, absolutely cruel when you think about it. So, so, but we also have to try and figure out, we want, we want to, those of us who believe in a loving and gracious God have to try to figure out as best we can, how to maneuver with that belief when we see such horrible, horrible things happening around us, sometimes in us mm -hmm. and sometimes to us. So the theodicy we're going to cover today, we had to make up a name for it. Right, we've done some other ones that are recognized, you know, like Augustinian theodicy and Irenaean and so on. The one we're going to cover today, you will find variously in a lot of late 20th century and contemporary Christian theologians without a name, but we have called it the Jesus narrative theodicy. And so what, we're, what we want to say about this theodicy is that theologians like uh, Daniel Migliori, like Bradley Hansen, like the, the great German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, they are deeply committed Christian theologians from different, from different perspectives who want to take very seriously two things, the, the horrible reality of evil and suffering in the world. For example, Moltmann had to, had to process having been a German soldier in World War II and having to then be faced with the reality of the Holocaust. How, how do I as a Christian process this stuff? So the, the, these theologians want to take very seriously that suffering and evil are real, and they call into question the idea of the providence and goodness of God. But on the other hand, they want to take very seriously Jesus's ministry and the story of Jesus as the center of the kind of quite a diverse biblical witness and as the lens by which to try and make some sense. What, what kind of God is it we're talking about when we talk about God and suffering? And so these theologians will say, we as Christians want to say it's the God who is reflected to us in and through Jesus. And that's how we're going to look at the problem of evil and suffering. And so what they will do is they will take Jesus' ministry and the kind of many faceted witness of his identity that we find in the New Testament as starting points. So they want to take seriously the story that um, the story of, of Jesus, his life, but also of his ministry. And <clears throat> let that be a place where we begin to ask the questions about suffering and, and evil. And one thing we'll, we'll get to a little bit later in more detail, but we're using the word story. They want to use the word story. This is not about dropping proof texts from the gospels on <laughs> situations of suffering. It's about the, the reality that how we know about Jesus is in the form of a narrative not in the form of proof texts, not in the form of <laughs> text bombs you can drop. Um, it's, it's in the, the form of a story in which the identity of the character of Jesus and the character of God are somehow narrated in that story of Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection. That's where they go. That's the lens that they go to, to try and make sense of suffering as much as you can make sense of it. And they want to use it to reframe our approach to the problem of unnecessary suffering. So it's like, what 
can this lens, what new things can this lens bring to our understanding? So, so to begin with, the, the Jesus narrative theodicy rules out two common defaults. So what, I, what I, we mean here by defaults, when people find themselves in the midst of suffering, there's a couple of things that just because we pick it up in our culture and popular Christianity that we often go to right away. And, and the Jesus narrative really is in an argument against these two things throughout. And the first one is that we often go to is I'm suffering because God is punishing me. And the second one is I'm suffering because I wandered from God and I'm not aligned with God's desires and wills. And so there or will, and therefore bad things can happen to me. So these are just really, uh, I think many of us, maybe all of us, when we're in the midst of a really difficult time, wonder, well, what did I do wrong that I fell into this place? Um, and so those are two common things. And the Jesus narrative challenges them both um, roundly. So that's, I think, important to understand. And one of the things to begin with is that Jesus suffers in many ways in his own life, right? Um, and especially when he is doing God's will. And so that's a really good corrective to those theologies out there that say, if you're, if you're having suffering of some kind, God's against you. Well, Jesus' own life says something completely different. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if you think about people through history who've been, we would say, really tightly aligned with God's will for the world, um, they suffered too. Uh, people like... Um, Oscar Romero, for those of you who may be familiar with him, uh, Mother Teresa, her sense of call took her into all kinds of suffering, um, other people's and her own, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., um, you know, broaden that, pacifists in Russia in the late 19th century that had to, had to emigrate. Um, so all kinds of people who are completely aligned with God's love and God's will find themselves in situations of suffering because they are living there. So, so the Jesus narrative uh, really dismisses those ideas that our suffering is somehow because we're not close enough to God. Mm. So um, this, this theodicy treats suffering as like independent from the question of whether God is close or far, anything like that. Uh, it, it doesn't, in other words, this theodicy doesn't try to come up with a theoretical answer for why is, why are you suffering? It takes it as a reality mm -hmm. and then does not try to come up with a theory that says, well, it's because you did this or because you did that. Or if you only prayed like this, then you wouldn't have suffering. Or if you right. paid this much tithing, then you wouldn't suffer. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't go there at all. But it takes all of its cues for that from Jesus himself. And so it's, uh, it's based on a, a careful reading of the gospels as, as, it, you know, as four narratives about the life of Jesus, and then also other New Testament texts that kind of reflect reflect on who Jesus was. Right. So if you look at specifics in Jesus' life, you see that suffering is a common part of his life and his human experience. You know, right from in Matthew, his birth, where his life is threatened, um, and that his family has to emigrate to to Egypt for safety. And then when they come back again in Matthew, they have to decide which area they're going to live in according to 
how evil <laughs> the governor is of that area. So they go to the one that's less evil, <laughs> less likely to, to cause them pain. Um, so, uh, and even in his teenage years, uh, Jesus suffers as many uh, high school or middle schoolers or junior hires do with not being understood by the adults around him. You know, his parents not understand what, he, what he's about. And, um, you know, and so as you can see that the suffering is not, um, is not in for the, for the Jesus narrative, it's not uncommon. It's a, it's a part of life. Um, though there are kinds of suffering that are not acceptable, that are, that are, that need to be challenged. Even, uh, you know, Jesus suffers because his followers are not very good at following. And you got that, 12 guys who are dumber than a box of rocks, actually. <laughs> so, so it's like, Ouch, it just hurts to realize you guys are going to carry this on after me. That's why I'm so glad I've got the women following me because they get that they get this better than you do. So the Jesus narrative accepts that suffering comes independently of our goodness or badness. And that's a really important place to begin. So, but this is the, the place where Jesus and suffering in the Jesus narrative come together. And that, that is that while Jesus recognizes that some kinds of suffering are normal part of life, he actively sought to alleviate many kinds of suffering. And that alleviation of suffering was a sign of God's love. And so sometimes that sign brought physical healing or uh, emotional or psychological wholeness. And sometimes uh, that alleviating of suffer suffering looked like loaves and fish, where Jesus offered food for hunger and hope for despair. So um, the place where um, Jesus and suffering meet is in in the alleviating it as a sign that God's power is at work. So, so the Jesus Jesus narrative theodicy would always reject any kind of like ethical passivity before suffering, right? It's just you following the example of Jesus. You don't, you don't just say, no, that's just, that's just going to happen. And it's just have to let it be. I can't do anything about it. No, uh, the example of Jesus in the four gospels is to attack it, uh, what it in whatever form it is. So that's a really important thing to, to take from this, from this theodicy is it calls those who follow Jesus to active, actively resisting uh, forms of evil and suffering in the world and trying to alleviate them rather than passively just accepting them as quote unquote God's will, which is the Odyssey says it's not, right? It's not that. <clears throat> and then we've come up with eight points and we've got a little title for each of them that helps show some of the characteristics of this theodicy. And so the first one is in this theodicy, uh, it's about the character of God as community, right? And so, um, so this is really important. This approach to theodicy does not start with like presumed abstract qualities of God, like omnipotence, omniscience, and so on. In other words, those terms that people commonly apply to the word God, this theodicy doesn't start there because those are abstractions. But this theodicy is working from who is God revealed to be in the story, not as a philosophical abstraction separate from it. So we don't start there. It starts with the story, the story of Jesus, and 
mostly the story is found in the four gospels, but it will use other parts of the New Testament and the Bible uh, as, as part of that larger story. And then what it, what it looks for is like, what cues does Jesus in this story reveal about the nature of God? So one of the key things that a uh, narrative, uh, a Jesus narrative theodicy will point out, and you'll find this in Moltmann, in Migliore, in Hansen, and others, is that the God that Jesus reveals is communal, right? There, there are always, there's always Father, Son, and Spirit at work in all three Gospels, right? So the community of what we call the Trinity is really important here. Um, what the story shows then is that God, in essence, is not like a solitary, isolated monarch out there somewhere who's omnipotent, but rather God is, to use the, the language of the story, God is the Abba to whom Jesus prays and who through Jesus sends the spirit to his disciples. In other words, God is always viewed as a community. And that's, that's really important because a community exists through mutual love. And so at the, at the heart of the Jesus narrative theodicy's approach to the problem of suffering evil is that God is love. God is mutual love revealed in this relationship that we are invited into. That's really important. So that kind of leads into our second one, which we've titled God acts most clearly in the world through love. And, and this theodicy says no to the idea that all things happen and especially bad things happen um, and are caused by God because they're caused by God. And this goes back to the retribution theology um, that was really common in the Old Testament, but that also has been picked up by some Christian denominations where basically um, if bad things are happening to you, it's punishment for your bad behavior. And retribution theology basically says, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. So if something bad is happening, well, we know who to blame. Obviously you did something. <laughs> so, but this, this theodicy is saying no to that. And we've kind of indicated that already. And so Jesus actually critiques this this theodicy in two places in the gospels. First is in Luke, in Luke chapter 13, right at the start, Jesus, Jesus says to his hearers, you know, you know, those Galileans that Pilate, the Roman military governor, you know, murdered as they were trying to offer sacrifices. Do you think, do you think they, they suffered because they were more, more bad than anybody else? No, they, they didn't. And then he follows up with, and those, those people in Siloam, 18 people who were killed when a tower fell on them. Do you think that that happened because they were more wicked than anybody else? No. So the, the no in both cases is an immediate rejection of the idea of a simple cause and effect. Something bad happened to you. It must be you caused it. In fact, what he says, what he says in both cases is, you know, the text reads, you know, but you know, unless, unless you all repent, uh, you'll likewise perish. Now, he's not trying to say there that God's going to do this to you because he just said God doesn't do that. Basically, as the, the British uh, New Testament scholar T.W. Manson in his classic work from mid 20th century on, this, on the teachings of Jesus, he says, what this is about is urgency, right? Um, things happen in life. Bad things happen. They're not caused by God smiting you. Any, things can happen. Life is tenuous. And so there's an urgency to respond to Jesus' message about the kingdom here and now, right? Don't put it off. Wait. That's what this is about. And here. don't waste your time trying to figure out who's more sinful than you are <laughs> and who's more deserving of this suffering than you are. <laughs> but 
but it's, it's but that very, is so fun. I know <laughs> figure those things out. It's very clear in this text that Jesus is saying, no, the old retribution theodicy, uh, drop it. it. It doesn't apply. The other place is in John chapter nine, where there is this, this is the story of the man who was born blind. And, uh, I have to be careful because one time I was teaching a class on it and, Char- and, I, and Charmaine said afterwards, do you remember that? Do you remember the, what you said? You said the man born blind from birth. <laughs> Just a little redundant, <laughs> but he so, probably said it 20 times. I, I did. I probably said it 20 times. I had no idea. But so it's the man born blind and the disciples say to Jesus there, who sinned this guy or his parents, right? There's the retribution theodicy from parts of the Hebrew Bible. And Jesus said, neither. And then goes on to say, this is, this is, this is to show the glory of God because Jesus is about to heal the guy. And this is going to show the glory of God as it's revealed in Jesus. In other words, as Raymond Brown says in his commentary in the Gospel of John, Jesus moves the whole question of why this man is blind away from cause and effect and moves it into divine purpose. What can God do with this? That's a whole different animal then. So, so in other words, Jesus himself in his ministry in the Jesus story said, no, no, no. Uh, when bad things have happened to people, this, 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 and this, it's not because they were worse than anybody else, right? So you have you take you take that that whole calculation goes right off the table there. So then we have to ask, how does this Jesus uh, narrative theodicy help us see suffering more clearly? And so one of the ways is that if God, if God is in the as revealed in the Jesus story, is a community of love, then bad or evil things that happen, I think earthquakes, diseases, tragedies, wars, they can't be seen as coming from God. Instead, the way we can tell whether something is coming from God or not, does it align with divine love? And so then when we're looking at suffering, we're saying, where does love affect this? Rather than what hateful God created this. (laughs) So so this theodicy rejects the idea that suffering and bad things that happen are orchestrated by God. So next point is, our simple heading for it is God with us. That's, that's kind of the heart of the Jesus narrative. That's right at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. He, he will be called Emmanuel, which is God is with us. But it's the, it's, it's the point of the whole, the whole narrative, regardless of the gospel. So the, the, Jesus, the Jesus story affirms that God is always present, always accompanying creation, even in the midst of pain and loss. And side note here, in Migliore's chapter on providence and evil, he refers to Karl Barth's idea of concursus, which is a Latin word. It means God, God is the accompanying God. God's not out there absent. God is, God is working it through with us and thus experiencing suffering and pain and loss with us. So the, the, the key for this understanding in a, in a Jesus narrative theodicy is the cross or the crucifixion of Jesus. This, this, and this theodicy is going to say, this is the cross of God, the son, right? That's the Trinitarian thing. This is not a, lo- a, a solitary monarch out there sacrificing a human being. Uh, this is God, the second person of the Trinity entering into, entering into loss, death, suffering, and pain. Uh, on our behalf. And so that's really central to this theodicy. Um, 
So that that's that's really kind of kind of key to to how how this theodicy then empowers us to deal with suffering. It's, we, we start with the recognition that God is present with us in it, regardless of what it is. Yeah, that God is not absent. So at every stage of Jesus's life, there were challenges and disappointments, um, including if we look go to the end of Matthew and Mark that you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, you know, this, that kind of suffering and that feeling of being deserted um, are things that, that Jesus felt too. So Jesus' life is an example that God is with us in all the suffering, rather than giving into the idea that if we have struggles, then God is not with us. The Jesus' narrative communicates, I think, quite clearly that God walks with us in our suffering to help us not be consumed by it. And I think that's um, one of the one of the places where suffering causes so much damage is when it is all consuming. And so the idea that God is with us in it, sometimes God with us in our suffering does bring healing or forgiveness. And there's all kinds of, of uh, stories in the New Testament of Jesus being there for people who are suffering and bringing healing or bringing, you know, thinking of Zacchaeus, uh, the, the tax collector and finding him finding forgiveness. But um, so that, that God with us does change things. And, and sometimes it simply tells us that we're that we're not alone in the struggle, because that's that's the most isolating part of struggles at times is the feeling that we're whether we think we deserve it or not. That's sometimes the isolating part, but the idea that others can't understand or that we would be ashamed to tell other people that we are suffering, that that um, that aloneness in the struggle is eliminated in the Jesus narrative because God already is there with us in that, in the midst of that suffering. This is a, a recent, a recent experience I heard um, that really kind of, I think helps apply this. Um, I, I heard a testimony uh, about a young woman whose husband and little child were killed in an accident, right? So uh, the woman who was mother and wife is now widow and not mother anymore. And so she was like utterly, utterly devastated, as you could imagine, just ab just like horrific pain from this. And there's it, it in her agony at one point, she found herself crying out to God uh, in rage. And what she said was that suddenly in that moment, she found herself kind of out of nowhere, embraced by love she had never known before. And she, it, didn't, it didn't fix the loss, but it gave her a way forward. And this, this, this testimony reminds me also of when in Jürgen Moltmann's biography of Broad Place, he shares the story of his, how he became a Christian uh, in, in a prisoner of war camp as a, a, a German prisoner of war, and how the the guilt and pain and and depression that came over him and other other prisoners when they when they saw what when they saw pictures of the 
the Nazi concentration camps after the camps had been liberated and how, how he just went into this in, in just horrible, dark, painful place. But among the things that helped him out of that was reading the gospel of Mark. And he says in his biography that that place on the cross where Jesus says, my God, why have you forsaken me? For him, when he read that, that was the moment at which he said, that guy knows me, <laughs> right? That, that man knows me. And that was part of his whole process of coming out of that. And then actually becoming one of the premier theologians of the, of the late 20th century. And he's still writing in the, in the early 21st century. But, but so that, that's the sense of being accompanied by a God of love uh, in the midst of horrible loss and pain is, is, is transforming, is, is potentially transforming. So a fourth one, uh, fourth aspect of this theodicy is that God honors our freedom not just ours, but the, the freedom of others. And so God in the Jesus story respects creaturely freedom to say yes or no, to choose well or not, to be self-centered or to be centered on others. So God is not a, a puppet master or a tyrant that controls everything um, because that would be contrary to love, which brings freedom. So freedom, but freedom includes the possibility of loss, of harm from others' decisions or actions and their negative choices. And then it, it also means there could be harm from our own bad choices, consequences. However, God is not indifferent to the evil and the suffering. So even though we have the freedom to make bad choices or other people's freedom can impinge on us and bring harm. Um, God is not indifferent. God cares about the suffering that we have. And we see that in Jesus combating um, all of those kinds of sufferings, whether the person had any control over it or not. Um, illness, uh, so many you know, people that Jesus touches because they're suffering with illness of marginalization and in the in the gospels is often women or the poor or marginalized for other reasons. Um, Jesus steps in where there has been violence or the threat of violence. His own disciples wanting to bring down fire on the <laughs> Samaritans because they weren't very welcoming of him and them um, or of trauma. And you think about legion and all of his inner demons that, that Jesus is uh, freeing him from. And then finally, death, the fear of death. Um, Jesus brings freedom of that, from that kind of suffering as well with the assurance that death is not the end of everything, that God is God beyond that. And so on this point, that God honors freedom, a Jesus narrative theodicy is not then going to subsequently theorize about what God can and can't do on the basis of human freedom. That's off the table because what we're trying to work with here is, is who God is in the story. And God in the story appears to honor human choices and freedom. And so we don't we don't then subsequently create a theory to. Right. To, but God also then is about alleviating the suffering mm -hmm. of people. The next point in this theodicy is our summary of it would be a, a vulnerable God who points to a new future. So if you think about it. Love love and vulnerability belong to each other. 
And so the story of Jesus reveals a God who becomes vulnerable, right? In Jesus' life, incarnate in Jesus' life, becomes vulnerable to death, to suffering, but out of love for the world. So at the same time, Jesus, this Jesus who uh, embodies the vulnerable, uh, the vulnerable God, uh, God the Word, Jesus preaches the coming of the reign of God, which is going to be God's reign of justice and love and inclusion and the possibility of a new future. So, so God's vulnerability also includes, hey, there's another possibility ahead of, ahead of you, the, the possibility of this different kind of world. And so the glimpse of this new future then invites readers, invites people in the Gospels, but invites us as readers to align our actions and choices toward it, toward the reign of God. And so, again, uh, this, is not, this is not a theodicy of passivity. It's a theodicy that calls its readers to, to action on the basis of, of a God who is vulnerably loving, but also whose, whose reign, who promises that, that the world can and will become different. So um, the, our, our next one is we've just titled God's New Possibilities. Um, God's New Possibilities, sorry, rather than death, will have the last word. And in the midst of suffering, we often need to know that what is now is not for always, that there is something to look and feel for beyond that. So the cross reveals that God is present in our suffer suffering as the crucified God. But the Jesus story is also about Easter and triumph over death. And so it's, it's a way of saying God refuses to let suffering and death have the last word over creation, but that God is constantly making new possible, new possibilities. And then the final, the final kind of point and we said eight earlier, but actually they're originally oh, eight. seven. We combined the last. We, we combined seven and eight together. <laughs> <I lied. laughs> <laughs> they they actually belong together. But the last one is that God is transforming power, and so uh, we're and this is this comes out really strongly in Migliori, but other theologians follow this too. But you know, wherever human beings courageously protest injustice or resist systems that cause suffering, uh, and wherever wherever we work to alleviate pain, God the Spirit is present with us. It's God the Spirit prompting, energizing, motivating, calling, prophetically leading us to do that. And this is the Spirit Jesus sent, promised and sent to his disciples. So this, this Spirit works in us to transform the world for good. So uh, this is really important. Um, it's not just God and Jesus. It's God, Christ, Spirit, Father, Son, Spirit, God, the origin, God, the word, God, the transformer, all these things working together, this community, which is where we kind of started this summary. And this, this is the community in which we live, the, the communion with the, this threefold God, and living out of the power of the spirit Jesus has sent, then gives us power to make differences and changes that will alleviate and change suffering in the world. Um, Augustine had a good way of saying this, God is lover, beloved and power of love. That's one of Augustine's images of the Trinity. And so God works in the world then not as a dictator, but always through sacrificial love and self-giving. Uh, but this is not inert and not passive. It's very, very active and can make uh, just the most incredible differences in the future and in the world as we experience it.
So Carla, any questions or observations or things you'd like us to clarify? Well, that's, it was a lot, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> but I have always appreciated, you know, when you talk about the Trinity, God, the, the beloved, the lover, and what did you say? The, what was the, last the loving, the loving. Yes. That's what I, that's what I always said. The loving. So I, I think that we just can't say that enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the, the fact that God is love and the way we know something is of God is through love. I, I feel like I need to say that every single day for the rest of my life and it will never, ever, ever be enough. So if what you're doing and what you're saying is not out of love, then it, it probably, can I say it's not from God? Is that what I can say? Or at least we might want to check where it's coming from. <laughs> Personally. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think when, when the New Testament writer who, who wrote the first letter of John says the phrase, God is love, even though love is a noun, technically, what the author means is it's a verb, right? God is love is an activity, right? God, God is in motion all of the time uh, it, as this loving communion who's trying to call us to make a world with less and less and less suffering in it. And so one of the things that the Jesus narrative theodicy says is, look, look to how Jesus is living. Look to what Jesus is doing. These, this is love in action. This is, um, this is God's um, commentary on suffering. It, this theodicy does not give you an answer to questions like, well, how come this miracle happened here, but not here? It doesn't, it doesn't. And, you know, as we're thinking about this, Jesus didn't heal everybody in the world in, during his ministry. He healed selected people. And we, why? We don't know. And so, you, in other words, when you go that route, you're trying to head back towards a, a theoretical kind of construct that you can manipulate and control. When, in fact, this is what's, what's, hap what's happening in the Jesus narrative theodicy in, in the Gospels is that God in Jesus through the Spirit is showing a way to respond to the suffering and evil and tragedy and and hatred and violence that are part of part of the life of the world and trying to show us that that can that can become something else that's what we that's what we've got so that's what we work with and it's so easy um you made me think about it's so easy to have those platitudes you know and and i remember i remember a very specific case of i was um teaching and somebody's daughter had gotten in a car accident and she could have been very, very badly hurt, but she wasn't. And, mm -hmm. and the teacher's like, well, God definitely intervened. Mm -hmm. And in the same room, there was a person whose child had been killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And I actually saw it in her face. Like, why didn't God intervene for me? Yeah, exactly. And it like, those things are so easy to say. And then you don't even necessarily realize how much pain you could per put on somebody else. I, that right. moment, I, I just felt my heart drop to my feet. Yeah. <laughs> it was such an awful moment. Yeah. And, and so one has to be careful again, not to just proof text things out of the Jesus narrative. And when we say Jesus narrative, we mean the whole story, all four gospels. And you have to be careful not to. Or to put it into some kind of easy formula mm -hmm. that, oh, God must have blessed us. And, and sometimes the second step is implied, you know, that we deserve it more than somebody else. Um, but, but part of the problem in that, in the situation that you're, that you were describing 
is that um, sometimes when we say things like that, we are assuming that this is a formula, even though no one may have said that, it's what we've picked up from our culture about how God works and the idea that deserving people get miracles and undeserving people don't. And unless we're clear about what we're saying, then, then we can sometimes not acknowledge that God may have been created, may have done a miracle in one place. Um, if we leave that assumption open that God does miracles for those who deserve it. Um, so it's, you know, that's one of the things about a theodicy is that we say it's not clear. It's not clear what, why suffering and evil um, always are there, and especially in this theodicy. And that, but that one of the things God keeps trying to help us see communally is that God does not wish suffering upon us. So even the person who has lost someone, so that they can begin to hear that God is, that it doesn't mean God is not with them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's, that's almost like, it's something we have to add on to, you know, we think God did something here and alleviated some suffering, but it doesn't mean that where suffering persists, God is not there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, just, that's just so important. And it's important for people who are in, in ministry to remember that going into hospital rooms and emergency rooms and into, you know, funeral homes and situations where people are facing mm, all, all the seasons of suffering that are part of life. It's, it's really important to not, not take in text bombs, mm -hmm. <laughs> but to take in the image of one who shows us that God is with us regardless. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's very important. So, so what we'll do now, Carla, is we'll, we'll, we'll finish. I'll share briefly about how to preach a Jesus narrative theodicy and Charmaine will end us up with how to pray a Jesus narrative theodicy. So that's kind of been our pattern. So, so I will say again, as I will say each time that we don't preach theodicies, really. <laughs> we don't, not a good idea. Not a good idea. No, no, at least per se, um, because you have people sitting in a congregation uh, or sitting in front of a Zoom screen congregation, <laughs> however you want to put it, who are, who are dealing with absolutely immense pain in their lives or loss or whatever. And so the pulpit's not the place for theoretical, theoretical, theological, I call them elixirs, <laughs> um, that claim somehow to fix things or give you the final answer on why this happened to you or to somebody you love. You have to be very careful about that. Um, in this case with the Jesus narrative theodicy, a key thing to do is to let the story be the story and not try to isolate passages. Now, this is complicated because in, we use the lectionary, and the lectionary does kind of isolate passages from the gospel each Sunday. But remember, the gospel writers didn't write passages, they wrote narratives. And so whenever you're using a passage, um, especially when the passage touches on questions of suffering and evil, Make sure you read it in the literary context as part of the story. Uh, that's going to be very, very helpful for using it well. And then I think in terms of the Jesus of the Jesus narrative, remember that the, the most Jesus most common form of self-reference is that really obscure phrase, son of man, right? And son of man 
in his in his language of Aramaic could mean a human, just simply a human being. Jesus, the human being. And he's also the suffering son of man, the suffering human being. So keep in mind that that following Jesus is not supposed to get us away from suffering. Like somehow it's a, it's a, it's a magic bullet, but we're following a human being who in his ministry suffered with and for others. I think that's just, that's part of that, not being alone in it. The Jesus story helps us, helps remind us we're, we're not ultimately alone, regardless of what we're facing. Next thing is don't shy away from the sacrifice stories, the, the stories about Jesus dying for us, for our sins or whatever. Um, it's really important, to, I think, to learn how to preach those texts and stories through the lens of a suffering God, a God who suffers with and for us, not a punishing God who somehow, and you don't want to get trapped in the assumption that, that the phrase died for us, it means one particular thing, that somehow Jesus took, took what we were supposed to get, and is, isn't that marvelously loving? That's, that's one theory of atonement. There's many different ways that those atonement texts are, are cast, and so you have, to, you have to be careful not to just shy away from a story where Jesus talks about himself as the ransom for many, or the text tells, speaking of Jesus, uh, who, who, will, who will die for us. Um, in lots of ways, what's being said there is that God the word, God with us, is entering into the stuff that we fear the most, right? entering into our own experiences of loss, death, dying, pain, suffering, agony, and so on. So um, if you shy away from cross language, you're going to cut yourself off from a resource that can really help uh, help us connect to a crucified God, which, which means a God who really understands the human condition and has, is, is embedded in the human condition. So um, remember that when we're preaching the Jesus narrative, uh, preaching a text that allows us to use the G Jesus narrative theodicy, uh, we're, preaching a, we're preaching a profound mystery. God, the eternal word became flesh. God, the eternal word as flesh wept. God, as the eternal word was tortured and bled and died, was murdered in public. Uh, God, the word was raised from the dead. There was this, this, this incredible mystery there that can touch the mystery of our own suffering, right? Anybody suffering on anything has a deep element of mystery in it. And so here's the divine mystery kind of intersecting with the mystery of human experience. And finally, I think a thing that, that really moves me deeply is the idea that the gospel stories all record that the risen Jesus still had the scars on him. There was a, a British poet who wrote uh, a poem after World War I. The poem is titled Jesus of the Scars. And uh, you know, World War I is 100 years ago and more now, but it was absolutely devastating for a whole generation. It, was, it devastated your millions of casualties, all kinds of war wounded that came back uh, you know, to recover. Um, churches were undermined by their support of this or that side in the war. They undermined themselves by that. And, but uh, this, this poet, Edward Shalito, wrote this, this poem called Jesus of the Scars. And I'll give you a, a couple stanzas of it, which I think, which to me speak very deeply to what the Jesus narrative theodicy is trying to say. And, and these two stanzas go like this. Uh, by the way, the, the, the story is 
the, the poem is situated in kind of Jesus appearing after his death and resurrection. And it, these stanzas go, if when the doors are shut, thou drawest near, only reveal those hands, that side of thine. We know today what wounds are. Have no fear, show us thy scars. We know the countersign. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. It's just an absolutely breathtakingly haunting poem about the wounded God, who is the only God who could really actually make sense to us. And it connects me finally to that great statement of Bonhoeffer when he was in prison. Only a suffering God can help. So how can this theodicy and some of its understandings help us pray? And to help us pray, I would say honestly. So just a few starter lines um, that might get us there. God, I'm struggling now. I'm tempted to think my struggles prove that you are not with me. But I remember how difficult Jesus's life was, and I'm assured you are already with me. Another, God, my distress and fear tell me I cannot go on. But help me trust you will be with me, even if I can't. Another, Jesus, you understand. Spirit. Give me courage to be honest about my weakness and limits. And another. Lover of the lonely, I don't like these unsettled feelings. And I agonize over the losses in my life, especially my broken relationships. Thank you, Jesus, for the stories of your friends who hurt or betrayed you or deserted you. Help me find forgiveness and healing with them. God, today is dark and my struggles threaten to suffocate me. Help me remember Jesus's images of your reign of love, inclusion, and a new future. And then my last one. In my heart and soul, God, you have planted outrage at the injustices ingrained in this world's systems. Spirit, give me courage to use my voice and my very being to create room for your goodness in the midst of the world's hate. Amen. <laughs> Amen, indeed. Thank you, both of you, for this. I Maybe it's because... I'm a Christian, but I, I felt myself really resonating with this theodicy more so than the others that you have gone over. Uh, and I'm not saying they weren't Christian, but I felt, I, I understood this. I feel like on a dip, deeper level. So I really appreciated hearing about that. And especially that you, you kind of get to look at the gospels in a whole different way. You know, our story, this, when we preach on the gospels and tell stories and about, you know, Jesus's life. And a lot of times it's really done in like this kind of happy, chirpy, positive way sometimes. <laughs> or like Jesus tipped on this table and this is why this happened. That was awesome. So it's all the justice stuff too. And this is more of a, 
a bit of a kinder, softer suffering. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but this, that's how I heard it. At I least think in that regard, it lets us be more honest, mm. honest about maybe that we don't have answers for everything, but also honest about what suffering does to us. As we all know that sadly, church is one of the places where we have to keep our suffering silent the most, or at least we think we do. Mm. And that's, that's a horrid mistake. Um, based on images of how good people should be and how church people should be and how everybody should be happy. But it's really, it's, it really has nothing to do with the gospel <laughs> and doesn't have anything to do with Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. uh, who requires us simply to be honest before God. Yeah. Well, I, I just so appreciate hearing about this. I, I really have enjoyed listening to all these different types of theodicies and like understanding suffering in all these different kinds of ways and putting a name on it has been really helpful for me. Like I've really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. And we've said this before and probably we'll say it again is that typically we have a mix of theodicies. We, we may have borrowed some things from different ones that fit or work for us at different times in our lives, but it does keep that conversation going inside ourselves and with God and in community um, so that we don't, so that we don't fall into having to act one way or, or look one way in the midst of suffering, whether it's ours or somebody else's. And I think at this point we have maybe two more to cover. We have, mm -hmm. we'll cover what's called process theodicy which is a theodicy that comes out of a school of, of theology called process theology. And then we will do what we call, what, what are called liberation theodicies. And I think that will be our last one. Liberation theodicies have a few points of contact with the one we dealt with today. Mm -hmm. um, whereas process theodicy has some points of contact, uh, contact with the, the protest one we did mm -hmm. before. So, so two, more to, two more to reflect on. And both of them, um kind of new. Actually, the Jesus narrative one is, is kind of new in, in the bigger theological schema. Yeah. They're, they're more modern, I yeah. would guess. Yeah, the Jesus narrative one, you could say, because of its focus on the, on the Trinitarian nature of God, is part of the 20th century's recovery of the doctrine of the Trinity in, in both Catholic and Protestant theology, which is a story for another time and probably a story not for a podcast because I, I guarantee you that would be a long, boring story for many people. Oh, well, you two always seem to find a way to make things interesting and fun. So I bet you could make it fun. We'll Thank see. you so much for, for that. And I'm looking forward to hearing the last two theodicies and learning even more about it. So thank you, you two. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 